This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. As James mentioned, we're continuing our series this morning in, uh, in the series called VU. That word there is an intentional double play on words. VU in French means you. And in Greek, it's actually pronounced nous, uh, and the, the V actually makes an N sound in uh, ancient Koine Greek, and that means mind. And so we're dealing with this topic of uh, you and the mind, mental health and you. And last week, Alnado spoke about depression, and this week we're going to be speaking about addictions. And our purpose and aim for this series is to pair a preacher and a practitioner together to give you both the you know, the clinical resources as well as the spiritual resources to uh, approach some of these issues that I know many of you are wrestling with. When we, um, and, and this morning, we will be joined by a clinical psychologist, Laura Sherman, not live, unfortunately. She practices on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, but we have pre-filmed uh, some stuff that will bless you this morning. Many of you might think, uh, uh, when you think of addictions, of the more classic or traditional versions of addiction, like uh, an addiction to illicit drug, a substance abuse disorder, or alcoholism, or some form of addiction like that. Some of the categories that uh, you know clinical ha- have clinical diagnosis about them. But the reality is, um, there's a, a, only a small percentage of our population that wrestle with some of those. Uh, more traditional forms of addiction. Plenty of us wrestle with other forms of addiction. Things like addiction to pornography, addiction to gambling, addiction to screens, addiction to food or sex or shopping or work or the internet or to tobacco or whatever other range of substances and dependencies there are out there. You might not identify with someone who has a substance abuse disorder, but perhaps you identify with someone who wrestles with some other form of negative pattern of behavior or addiction in your life. Now, I recognize that at a clinical level, not all of those things are recognized in what's called the DSM-5. It's the, uh, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual that a, a psychologist will use to assess, diagnose, and treat someone who presents with some form of um, addiction. But the thing that those things all have in common is a common physiology and neurology that exists at the heart of every single negative pattern or addiction that we face. Whether that addiction is alcohol or that addiction is pornography, the process that is occurring inside your brain is the same. That is, the neurological process of dopamine that's sent along a receptor pathway is the exact same thing for a crack addict as it is for someone who's addicted to their phone. And so... You might not identify with someone who falls under the classical term of of an addict, but the processes that are happening in your brain as you interact with your phone or as you engage in online pornography or some other form of addiction is the same thing. Now, I want to confess this morning that my struggle has not been with Uh, a substance abuse disorder, alcoholism, illicit drugs, even though for all of my high school years, I participated in drug abuse and uh, misuse of alcohol. I was never addicted to those things. I was never bound by them. I never felt like I was drowning under the weight of their control. But perhaps my struggle is something that maybe is more common to this room. And that is a struggle with this device, the screen, 
They call it the black mirror. And we participate in daily rituals with these devices, do we not? Rituals that shape habits, liturgies, if you like, practices that we repeat and rehearse every single day. It's not just the content that this thing delivers that shapes us and forms us. It's actually the the physiological things that our phones do to us. The dopamine hit that comes when we see notifications, likes, comments, the, the neural pathways that are formed as we scroll and scroll and scroll. We know that the light that is emitted from these devices shapes our brains and keeps us alert. And if I'm honest with you, this device has had a negative impact on my life. I've felt at times quite controlled by this thing. It's affected my work, my concentration. It's affected the sleep that I get at night because every night I seem to go to sleep with the dim, warming glow of a phone in my face and then wake up in the morning with the exact same thing. It's affected my presence with my family. And there's shame connected with that. Like I'm ashamed to admit that that's true, that, that I will be so distracted and sometimes just out of sheer boredom that I just turn to my phone instead of being present with my kids. And so whilst my addiction may not be classified as a serious addiction that would find its way into the DSM-5, it's nonetheless had a negative impact in my life. And I want to suggest that there are people here today who are wrestling with their own version. Perhaps it's the screen. But there are people here today who are drowning in an addiction to pornography. Men and women. There are people here today whose screen addiction has led towards an increased anxiety at at levels that you've never experienced before. And you might be thinking, why are we talking about addiction? I thought this was mental health. All of the statistics show us then when someone wrestles with some form of addiction or negative pattern of behavior, your likelihood of experiencing depression and anxiety is increased. And there are people here today whose dependences are absolutely decimating their faith. And if that's you, then today I want to say there's hope. That all is not lost that we can engage in the battle, that God is with us, he sees you, he knows, and that we are not bound by the shackles of these things, these repeated negative behaviors, these addictions in our lives. There is hope. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. For some of you, the next step today is, actually, I need to check in a rehab and get some real help. I need to go and see a psychologist. I need medication. I need help. And we want to offer that and we want to walk alongside you to experience the healing and the wholeness that we believe God wants to see in your life. So I'm going to pray for us as we come before God in his word. Father God, um, I pray this morning as we think about this topic of addiction and of habits and negative patterns of behavior in our lives that cripple us and push us down. God, I pray for every single person in this room this morning who is wrestling with some form of addiction or struggle. God, I pray that you would bring hope where hope has been lost. I pray that you would give a fresh resolve today for people who have given up 
God, I pray that you would remind us of your grace where we think we're unlovable and beyond your forgiveness. So God, we invite you now to minister to us by your word, through your spirit. Please shape our thinking. Help us think your thoughts after you. And please set people free. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And God's people said, Amen. You know, the probably most common metaphor that people use to describe their addiction is that of slavery, of feeling like there is a master that is in control of you. So there is someone or something in your life that is um, controlling you or compelling you or mastering you or even owns you. And even when the thing that you do or the thing that you run to has negative impacts in your life, you feel so out of control, you cannot help but go back. Uh, Part of this um, preparation this week was helping me get into the world of an addict. I didn't just want to preach a sermon about facts. I wanted to be in the world. So I rang and spoke to friends who have wrestled uh, for many years with um, hardcore drug addiction and uh, people who have been alcoholics to help me understand what it feels like. And some of the comments that people have said is that I'm completely aware of the choice that I'm making. It's a choice. But this force is so powerful in my life that I actually feel like I have no choice at all. I feel so compelled that I cannot help participate in this thing. Slavery feels like an apt description for those who wrestle with addictions and patterns of negative behavior in their life. Now, as believers, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we know that we are all enslaved to sin. That's what the Bible tells us, that we are slaves to our sinful nature, that we are controlled and compelled and bound in shackles by our sin. Every single one of us, no person in this room is beyond that being a true descriptor of who we are, that we are slaves, that we are enslaved. Romans 6 says that to whatever or whomever we offer ourselves, we become slaves to that thing or that person. God says to Cain in Genesis chapter 4 this about his sin. He says, Cain, sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Our sinful nature, our flesh, this world that we live in, the devil who is against us, all of those things are vying for our hearts. And our hearts are in a war, a war of affection, a war of desire, a war of allegiance and dependence. And all of those things want to capture our hearts and our affections and enslave them and entrap them and make them bow to things that will rip us off and destroy our lives. That's the very nature of sin. And the very thing that is at the heart of sin is that the the same thing is at the heart of an addiction or a habit that's destructive or a negative pattern of behavior. That we're at war. That we're slaves. And that slavery can manifest itself in many different ways. Perhaps that slavery manifests itself in a desire for a good thing that ends up becoming an over-desire for that thing that manifests into an addiction that is out of control in our lives. But at the root of it, it's a good thing. 
Good thing like intimacy or sex that then becomes an over-desire that becomes an addiction. Perhaps that slavery comes in the form of a desire for a negative thing, like pornography, that ends up crushing us. Irrespective of that, they enslave us. They trap us. We feel bound. But the good news as we come to the gospel is that God is in the business of setting the captives free. Is he not? That we worship a God whose core business and job is to set the slaves free, to set the captives free. That's the God that we worship. If we think of the narrative of the story of Israel, enslaved as slaves under Pharaoh, and God rescues them from their slavery, brings them through the, um, the body of water, <laughs> the, Red, the Red Sea, and into the... <laughs> Bit of a memory blank there. And then into the, in, eventually through the wilderness and into the promised land. But that narrative of being slaves who have been set free from captivity is what it looks like for Israel. That, that physical journey is mirrored by their spiritual journey. That they are to live as freed slaves, not returning back to the old master, not returning back to Pharaoh in his slavery, but to live in the freedom that they have. And that journey is ours as well. As people who have been set free from the, the sin that bound us and held us captive by the power of the gospel, we are to be people who walk in the freedom and the wholeness and the grace and mercy of God. And so my aim this morning is, um, is actually quite simple. I, I don't think one sermon can fix you. In fact, that's not even our, our hope Today, our hope is more to journey with you and to sit with you and to be with you than just to fix you. But our long-term hope is that you would experience wholeness. So my aim this morning um, is not that this sermon fixes all your problems. That would be naive. But my aim this morning is to help you see that there's hope for change. Because I know that many of you have given up. Many of you have given up that you will ever experience wholeness in your life. So my, my aim is to bring hope. And the second thing, my aim is to help you see that even amidst a thousand failures, there is grace to meet you. So there's hope to change and there's grace to meet you. What hope is there for the person who is battling with an addiction or a habit that is destructive in their life? Well, there is hope for change. And Romans 12 verse 2 gives us that. Have a look at what God says in Romans 12 too. This is Paul speaking to the church. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And that word there, transformed, is where we get our word metamorphosis, like a complete radical transformation that occurs. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, Paul doesn't tell us there how our minds are changed. But he is certainly not aware of 21st century research into neuroplasticity and how our brains can form new neural pathways. And how, he doesn't know any of that, right? But what he does know is what we think and the way we think and specifically the things that shape and form our thinking have an impact on the way that we live our lives. The way we think changes the way we live. 
and transformation occurs from the inside out. That's the part of the problem with religion is that religion says transformation occurs outside in. Religion says deal with the mess in your life and then you'll be well on the inside. Stop doing that addiction. Stop doing that behavior. Sort yourself out. And that. But Paul is saying, no, no, it's the other way around. God deals with the inside. He transforms our thinking. He shapes our hearts and our lives begin to follow. Change occurs as God, by the power of his spirit, takes and reveals the truth of the scriptures to us and progressively and sometimes painfully slowly begins to change us into the likeness of Jesus. That is God's commitment to us. And so for those of you who are here this morning who have tapped out and given up on any form of change in your life, I want to remind you that this is what God does. He is in the change business. He is relentlessly committed to shaping us into the likeness of Jesus. Be that the one sin you've committed or that one sin that you've committed a thousand times. Change is possible. And change is possible as our minds are renewed. But it's not that you just read your Bible and it's all kind of um, magically healed, right? Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes God intervenes miraculously in people's lives. Sometimes it takes years and years and years. And sometimes we need help. Actually, we always need help. And so to help us think about what, it, what change looks like and how we could practically do that, we've pre-recorded Laura Sherman, clinical psychologist, to give us some tips on how we can do that. So if you want to turn your attention to the screens now. Hi everyone, I'm Laura Sherman. I'm a clinical psychologist and as many of you know, a past Anchor family member before I moved up to Queensland three years ago. I'm missing you guys, but try my best to enjoy the sunny coast lifestyle with my husband, David. Can't say that I've managed to get a tan yet um, after all that time, but I have opened my own practice this year, which is really exciting. It's called Full Life Psychology. So I'm really enjoying that new adventure. So Matt told me that you guys today are talking about addictions and he's asked me to speak to you guys a little bit from the um, perspective of a psychologist. Um, as some of you might know, I used to work at the University of Sydney's gambling treatment clinic for many years when I was in Sydney. And there I got to see firsthand really what addictions can do to people's lives. You know, something that starts off quite small and har seemingly harmless um, can really turn full blown and affect every single area of someone's life. So it was a really rewarding job to be able to be there to help, you know, get people back on the right path where they could start to rebuild and reclaim their lives. So I'd really love to share some of the tips and tools and strategies that I would talk to those people then um, and share some of those things with you guys now. So your body has this inbuilt reward system. When you do something that your brain likes, your brain releases a neurotransmitter called dopamine that makes you want to do more of that behavior again in the future. Addictions hijack this reward system and over time, a repetition of a pleasurable behavior makes us go from feeling like we want to do this behavior to feeling like we need to do this behavior. In fact, if we stop doing this behavior when it gets to more serious levels, we can actually even have withdrawal symptoms. When we repeat a behavior or rehearse like information or images or thoughts in our mind, 
over time, those sort of thoughts or behaviors become like well-worn neurological pathways in our brain. We actually start to change our brain. Over time, we can actually start to develop a tolerance, which means that we need to do more and more of that behavior, you know, at more extreme levels or at a more extreme intensity to get that same high or reward that we did initially with smaller quantities or levels. So what started off as a one-time behavior has now spiraled out of control and affected every area of your life. You know, it can affect your work productivity, you know, your concentration, your memory, the intimacy in your relationships, the closeness, you know, in your friendships, um, really everything, your finances, um, you know, addictions can really start to take over. One big problem that I've noticed when working with people is this addiction or this unhealthy habit that they've formed actually becomes their primary coping strategy. So now every time that they feel discomfort or, you know, a sense of fear or stress, they have to resort to that habit to be able to alleviate that stress. The problem is it's only a temporary solution. Like it doesn't actually address the real problem. So you find yourself again and again resorting to that habit or behavior to feel temporarily better. The beautiful thing about brain neuroplasticity is that if we can wire our brain one way, we can unwire it or rewire it a different way. Over time, if we neglect a neural pathway or like a behavior or thought long enough, that pathway actually begins to fade. There is a lot of hope for overcoming addictions and I'm really excited that I can share, you know, some of those tips to get you started on that journey. So firstly, know clearly why it is that you want to change. I know this seems really simple, but psychologists spend a long time with people really making sure that they have that real strong internal motivation to change. You know, when we want to sort of run from something like a negative consequence of our behavior, like we don't want to feel guilty anymore. We don't want to get divorced. We don't want to lose our friendships. We, you know, want to stop feeling so unhealthy. Um, you know, that's very well and good, but it's not the thing that's really going to sustain us for long-term change. It might get us geared up for change, wanting to avoid those negative consequences, but it's not going to help us go the distance. When we want to sort of run from something, avoid something, that's called negative motivation. What we really want is positive motivation. Positive motivation is the things that you want to run to. It's what you have, what you stand to gain when you give up your addiction or your bad habit. Vividly try to imagine what your life would look like without your habit. You know, think about the things in detail, like I would have more energy. You know, I would stand to gain having a closer and more intimate relationship with my spouse. I'd be able to run around with my kids more and be more present. You know, I would actually have better concentration. I, you know, could even, you know, increase my productivity at work and maybe even get a job promotion. Like these things are the things that are going to enrich your life and to really motivate you in those times when you feel tempted. You know, write that down, put that somewhere, you know, on a wall or somewhere where you will see it, where it can motivate you to withstand those temptations in the short term because you know what you stand to gain in the long term. Next, take note of your external and internal triggers. So external triggers are things that are outside your body that can prompt an urge. So that might be things like certain places, certain people, certain smells or certain sights, all those things that are outside the body. 
Internal triggers, on the other hand, are things like thoughts and feelings. So that could be something like loneliness or anxiety, stress, or even critical thinking. Make a plan for how you're gonna deal with each of those triggers. And at the beginning, you need to kind of do something a little bit drastic to help break that cycle of addiction or to break that bad habit. That might look like walking a different way home from work. Don't go to that pub. Don't buy that stuff. Don't use technology in your room if that's a temptation. You know, exercise more to burn off stress. Whatever you need to do, start to put it into place now. One little trick to manage internal triggers is this. When you feel an urge, halt. H-A-L-T. Ask yourself, next time you're feeling tempted, am I H, hungry, A, angry or anxious, L, lonely, or T, tired, H-A-L-T. If you are any of these things, address that real need first. That's one way that you can help curb an urge. Isolation is the breeding ground for addiction. Do people actually become addicted because of the drug itself or because of their environment, because they're lacking in social connection? That brings me to my next point. Build the world outside your habit. Don't just keep focusing on what you can't have. Focus on what you can have. You know, build into your life things that are of value to you, that bring a sense of purpose and meaning to your life. You know, whether it's things like, you know, having family days or exercise and build health into your body, whether it's connecting more with friends rather than isolating, you know, whatever it is that makes your heart sing, focus at the same time as building those things up, you know, not just focusing on reducing your habit. Something else you can do is to learn to write out cravings. No matter how strong an urge is, all urges pass in their own time and research shows that they actually can pass on average within about seven to 10 minutes. So we just need to learn to ride out that wave. When you go home today, Google or YouTube urge surfing. This is a really helpful skill to learn. And what it is, is the skill to be able to sort of step back and without judgment and with a sense of curiosity to kind of just notice the changes and sensations in your body when you experience an urge without reacting to them. And there's a lot of exercises that you can do or sort of Oh, they're not really fun. Well, some are fun, but it's things like sitting with an itch, but not being able to scratch it or put, this is probably the better one, is putting like a Mentos lolly on your tongue, but not swallowing and resisting that urge. And what you actually notice, even though there's that bit of discomfort at the beginning, if you can learn that skill of stepping back and noticing, is that urge might surge, but it also curbs in its own time. And that I find with clients is super empowering to realize if they can just withstand it for that little bit by using some of that strategy, you know, they can actually see it pass and they don't actually have to engage in that behavior. Something else that is really super important to learn to do is to relearn how to sit with and process your emotions in a healthy way, rather than trying to numb or avoid them. The world has become very intolerant of uncomfortable emotions in its pursuit for happiness. Now I say uncomfortable because contrary to popular belief, there's no such thing as a good or a bad emotion. They're all helpful, they all give us information, they're all super important. We need to stop trying to numb or escape our emotions with Netflix, with eating, with our habits, and we need to learn new ways to be able to sit with, process, and tolerate those emotions so that we don't have to resort to our habits, or our unhealthy habits or addictions. 
One really helpful resource is The Happiness Trap by Russ Harris. Uh, it's a book and I recommend that you take a read. Become more mindful of what your mind is telling you. You'd be surprised how many people aren't actually aware of what they're thinking. It's really important to start to take note of this, to start to note the sneaky kind of deceptions and justifications that your mind's gonna be telling you. Because if you think about it, your body, when it's addicted, wants to do this behavior. So your mind's gonna try any strategy to get you to do it. Notice common thought pitfalls, things like, you know, I can quit whenever I like, or, you know, but it's not hurting anyone else, or just one piece. You know, start to notice these little sneaky tricks that your mind starts to play on you. One helpful strategy that I find that you can do is you can even start to notice that kind of tone of those kind of thoughts and sort of start to think about it like if it was this dodgy used car salesman that's really trying to entice you to buy this car that's actually a lemon. Next time that you start to notice those thoughts, just simply label it and be like, oh, that's that dodgy used car salesman again. And instead of paying him attention, just sort of go, there he is, redirect your attention and throw yourself into something or a task or an activity that's actually got value and meaning to you. Last, but definitely not least, is you need to prepare for relapse. No one is invincible. If you fail to plan for relapse, you plan to fail. Um, it's part of everyone's journey that there is gonna be temptations and struggles as you, you know, retune your life into these new habits. Sometimes those old pesky um, neural pathways, even though they're sort of you know, fading out can still slightly be there. So we really wanna prepare for future temptations. Uh, in that, it's also important to know the difference between what's a lapse and what's a relapse. I wonder if you already know this, but a lapse is kind of like a momentary return to past behavior. So that would kind of look like getting drunk once or twice, but a relapse is when that behavior keeps repeating itself. So it's like a full blown uh, regressional return to what it used to look like. There is something that is really important um, for you to be aware of to make sure that a lapse doesn't turn into a full blown relapse and that's your thinking. You know, if you have very black and white thinking and you're in that lapse stage and you slip up once or twice and you start to think, well, you know, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, or, you know, I'm never gonna get over this or, well, I've blown it now. That kind of thinking makes you kind of give up and it's more likely that a relapse will occur. We want to get on top of that. Instead of having that defeatist mindset, we want to be able to say, well, I have slipped up here, own it, take responsibility for it and see what you can actually do different next time. Learn from it. Well, there's some strategies that I hope you find helpful. Breaking a bad habit or an addiction takes time. It takes effort. It takes having good strategies, good coping skills, the right people and careful planning. You know, no matter what your brain or your body tells you during those struggling moments, it is totally possible to overcome this church. So I really hope that you can take something on board and that it will help you start that journey um, if you're struggling with something. Thanks church for having me. I hope you found some of those things helpful and I hope to see you guys soon. Well, there you have some uh, really helpful and practical tips from a clinical psychologist in terms of what you can be doing to help address some of these negative behaviors and, and uh, patterns and addictions in your life. Laura makes it sound simple, doesn't she? Nine quick tips, and 
Reality is, this is hard for some of you. It's a long road and not a quick fix. So there are also spiritual helps that exist, uh, not just clinical things that you can do. But I don't know about you, but as, as I was listening to the things that Laura said, it seems to me that a lot of that process of what's going on is a process of the mind, that there is a renewal of thinking that needs to happen. And it, it reminds me of that verse from 2 Corinthians, I think, where Paul says, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. That is, all of those negative patterns of thinking, we take that negative thought and we make it obedient to Jesus. Additionally, we know that uh, the power of the Spirit at work in our lives is real. Right? We believe that God is real, that He's present, He's with us, and that part of the Spirit's ministry is to work self-control into our lives. The ability to, to sit with an itch and not scratch it, that's called self-control. And we believe that the Spirit empowers that progressively in us. And additionally, we also believe in the power of prayer, that God hears, that He answers. And sometimes he doesn't answer in our timing and the way we would like, but he still hears and he still answers. The reality is that one of the things that probably hangs like a millstone around our necks and drowns and suffocates us is that of guilt and shame. And for those who are stuck in addiction or stuck in a pattern of negative behavior, shame and guilt are very powerful. And so this morning as we close, my aim is to break the power of that shame and guilt by reminding you of the good news of Jesus, of the gospel. We need to be reminded that God is present. Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That's true. You know, in the West, we're told that we're natural beings, that there's nothing more to us than the physicality of who we are. And so all of the treatment that exists for mental health, addiction, they're all natural treatments. But we believe that there is an added dimension to our personhood, and that is that we have a soul and a spirit, a part of us that connects with God and knows God and experiences God's presence. We know this because when Jesus was confronted with a man who was brought by his four friends and lowered on the mat through the roof in front of Jesus, what does he do? He says to the man, first up, very clear that he's paralyzed. He has a physical problem. His legs don't work. Jesus says to him, son, your sins are forgiven. And then he proceeds to heal the man because we aren't just physical beings. We don't just need natural cures. We are spiritual beings. We have a spiritual condition. And Jesus is the great physician who has come to heal those who are sick and suffering. Medication, counseling, psychology, cognitive behavior therapy, some of the tips that Laura has offered us this morning often don't get to the root cause of the shame and the guilt that exists in our lives and drags us down. But we believe in the good news. We believe that when Jesus died on the cross, 
He died as our sacrifice. He took upon Himself all of our shame and guilt. He took upon Himself all of the sin that we've ever committed, the sin that we've done once and the sin that we've repeatedly committed a thousand times, that Jesus paid for that. And that payment was sufficient. And in that He has gifted us His perfect life, His perfect obedience, His righteousness, as the Bible calls it, so that we would stand before God without blemish or stain or spot as free people. We believe that that is true. And that means that guilt and shame has no control over us like it once did. We believe the promise of Romans 8 that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Guilt and shame are done with. And we experience freedom and grace. Perhaps we need to be reminded of the love of God and what He has done for us. Psalm 103 verse 11 says this, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. Get this, as far as east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. I don't know if you know how far east is from west, but if you were to circumnavigate the globe from one point to another, it would be a 40,000K journey. Perhaps that's what the psalmist is saying. God has taken your sin 40,000 kilometers away. And in a culture where there were no aeroplanes and it took a very long time to get around the world, that is a very long way. Actually, it's the same distance as it is today, but it's perceived as a very long way away. Or perhaps what the psalmist is saying is if you try and walk from west to east, you'll actually never get closer to east than when you first began. Because it's a relative point. It's relative to where you start the journey and it is relative to where you're going. Whatever he's saying, he's saying this, God has taken your transgression, your sin, a very, very, very long way away. Actually, more than that. Isaiah promises this. In Isaiah 38, 17, he says, you have, speaking of God, you have put all of my sins behind your back. That God doesn't see your sin. He's taken your sin and he's, he's put it behind his back. He sees you through Jesus. In fact, more than that, in Isaiah 43, verse 25, it says, I will remember your sins no more. That God has not simply just forgotten about what you've done. He's made an active choice not to remember the thing that you have done. He will remember it no more. He will not bring it to memory. He will not bring that up against you and say, look, remember that thing that you did? God has taken our transgressions far from us. It's easy to think when we're stuck in addiction and patterns of negative behavior and destructive habits in our lives, it's so easy to think that God has run out of grace for me. How many times will God continue to forgive? Surely this time He's had enough. God's promise is that no matter how many times we have failed, He meets us with grace. He meets us with mercy. He loves us. 
and he takes our sin away for good. That deals with guilt. That deals with the shame of our past mistakes. And perhaps the memory doesn't go away. But we know that God does not lay condemnation on us anymore. Reality is if we're to truly be set free from our addictions and our negative patterns of behavior, it's not just enough to simply deal with the externals. We actually need to dislodge that affection from our heart and replace it with a deeper affection, an affection for God. If we simply take the one thing away, our hearts are idol factories. They'll find another thing to worship. They'll find another thing to be dependent on. They will find another thing to numb the pain and the brokenness of our lives. So when we dislodge that thing, we need to replace it with an even more powerful desire, a more powerful affection, a a dependence that will not be destructive. And that thing is the glory and the beauty and the sufficiency of God in the face of Christ Jesus. That's what will set us free. That's what will bring lasting change. And so for those of you who are struggling, who find yourself in the funk of your brokenness, I want to say this to you this morning. Get back up. Get back up. Tomorrow is a new day. Tomorrow, His mercies are new for you. Tomorrow morning, His mercies are new. Jesus has not abandoned you. His grace has not run out. He has not given up. He has not tired of offering you forgiveness. Get back up. The Spirit is powerful. Prayer is answered. God is present. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You may have failed a billion times. You may have committed the same sin over and over and over and over again until the point that your soul feels numb to that thing. It doesn't even feel wrong anymore. You may have walked in disobedience for years. And what I want to remind you of this morning is that as you come to God, there is an infinite ocean of grace to meet you right where you are. Not where you hope to be. Not where you wish you will be in two years. Not where your family and friends are hoping and praying you will be. God meets you in the midst of your brokenness with an infinite ocean of grace and says, I love you. There is forgiveness today. Get back up. Try again. Walk in dependence. Today, I want to encourage you to start the journey again. Hope is not lost. There's hope, there's grace. So come back again to repentance. Come back again to prayer. Come back again to wrestling with God. And perhaps you need to do that today for the very first time. Today, you recognize that you are out of your depth and things are out of control and your life is a mess. You may have seen the sign as you walked in. I've lost years of my life to this addiction. And today is the day that you take a step towards wholeness and healing and hope. And we want to journey with you in that. 
But perhaps today it's not that. Perhaps today it's recommitting for the billionth time to walk in repentance, to choose to live by faith, to put to death the deeds of the flesh, and to plead with God that he would form Christ's likeness in you. Today there's hope, there's grace. What we want to do this morning is give you space to do business with God. Every single one of you, no matter where you're at, to do business with God, to reflect on what has been said this morning, to remind yourself of grace and mercy and hope. As the band comes to lead us in the next song, I want you guys to stay in your seat and use at least the first half of this song as a moment to reflect. Listen to the words of this song. Listen to how powerful the message is of God's unconditional commitment to people who fail over and over and over again. And as we transition to worship, I want to invite you to participate in the Lord's Supper together, a meal that is a reminder that guilt and shame are done. As you come to the four stations around the room and take the bread and dip it in the grape juice, symbols of the body and blood of Jesus that were broken and shed for you, do so with an acute reminder that you may come to that table, you may come to these altars, you may come to these stations laid down with guilt and shame, you may come trapped, but you come and you meet grace in the finished work of Jesus. This meal is a reminder that God has not given up on you. He hasn't. And so I invite you to respond. Take the time that you need. Get on your knees. Pray. Our prayer team will be available. But as the band comes out, we're going to sit. We're going to meditate. And we're going to do business with God. So I'm going to pray for us. Please let me pray. Please join me. God, this morning we confess that we're in need. God, we cannot do this ourselves. For many, we feel so trapped. We feel incapable of change. But God, this morning we choose to believe perhaps even against our track record, that there is hope. And we believe that, God, not because we're strong, but we believe that because of the type of God that you are. We believe that because of your track record, not ours. God, we thank you that you have intervened in the mess and the brokenness of our lives to bring hope. We thank you that you're in the business of changing. And God, this morning, we want to believe that you want to change us. You want to change me, not just someone else. So God, would you please help us to do the hard work of living a life of repentance and faith, of trusting in Jesus, of putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And I thank you, Father, that as we do that, there is grace upon grace upon grace. Holy Spirit, I pray now that you would minister to the hearts of the people in this room, people who are trapped, 
people who are wrestling with addiction to pornography, set them free. People who are dependent on substances and not on you, set us free. Holy Spirit, do a work now, we pray in Jesus' strong name.